Welcome to Bible Study, Parody, and Subversion in Matthew's Gospel. In the last several episodes, as Jesus began his long trek down to Jerusalem, where the temple is, we encountered an anti-temple theme. The movement that Jesus is leading envisions a new society without the hierarchy of the temple. But in a world in which temples regulate social relationships and hold communities together, in which priesthoods and their sacrificial systems serve to maintain the social order, what might a new society look like without these institutions? Well, the next three chapters, chapters 18 to 20, address the social structure of the new society, especially in terms of how honor is distributed in the new society. As I've mentioned before in this podcast series, in the honor-shame society of the ancient Mediterranean world, honor was more important than money. Some scholars assert that honor was, in fact, the true currency of that culture. So the distribution of honor would be a little bit like the distribution of wealth to us, although the matter of economic wealth is also addressed by Jesus in this section. Another way of thinking about this is that honor was like what we call privilege, the difference being that in modern societies, wealth can compensate for, or maybe even buy privilege, a lot easier than was the case in the ancient Mediterranean world. In that society, one had to achieve honor in mostly non-monetary ways. And most of it really was a matter of one's birth. It was dependent on the status of one's family and one's gender. Another difference that some scholars have noted is that honor was seen as a limited good. There was only so much of it in the world, only so much of it to go around. So someone could only gain honor if someone else lost it. It was a zero-sum game. This section of Matthew will start out with a question from the disciples about honor. Who is the greatest in the new society? To answer this question, Jesus will center a child among them. This child symbolizes who should be most honored. Children were the most vulnerable and powerless people in the ancient Mediterranean world. They had little in the way of legal rights. They could be bought and sold. A father often had the right to put his children to death. They were, as a group, the most vulnerable and powerless people in that society. So then, having given his disciples an example of someone who is vulnerable and powerless, Jesus goes on to talk about how the new society will deal with the situation of those who are vulnerable, powerless, and marginalized. And he addresses a dynamic which occurs across many societies throughout time, including both in the ancient Mediterranean world and in our own modern world as well. In many societies, the most marginalized people are often criminalized, either by virtue of their status or because they actually turn to crime to survive, or out of anger and resentment, or to gain status. For example, in our society, a homeless person may break the law by what is called loitering. 
which means to stand or wait around idly or without apparent purpose. Well, of course that's what a homeless person is going to do. They don't have homes to loiter in like the rest of us, so they loiter in public places where law enforcement, at the behest of the housed citizens nearby who don't want to see homeless people or are afraid of them, can arrest them for doing what they can't not do. They are criminalized by virtue of their status. And then there are those individuals who do turn to crimes, such as stealing, to survive, or to antisocial behavior out of anger and resentment, or to other criminal activity to gain status. Jesus refers to all of these people as these little ones who believe in me, or the lost. Even today, people who end up in our criminal justice system or on the streets without a home are often considered the proverbial lost of our society. Now, an ideal society of justice should be structured so that no one is lost. But we are not there yet. And neither is Jesus and his movement in this story. They are still living in the old society. The process of moving toward a new society of justice for everyone takes time. And even after setting up new structures, we probably won't achieve perfection and there will always be individuals who are more vulnerable or for whatever reason, get lost, as it were. So how do we address that, given that we probably won't achieve a perfect society anytime soon? What should be our attitude toward those who get lost in our imperfect structures and systems? This is what Jesus, I think, is trying to address in chapter 18. My name is Bert Newton, and this is episode 46 of Bible Study parody and subversion in Matthew's Gospel. start with verses 1 to 5 of chapter 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child whom he put among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles themselves like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. There is a strong tendency for the modern reader of this passage, including many scholarly commentators, to wax nostalgic about the idyllic innocence and unassuming nature of a child as the thing that Jesus in this passage calls his followers to emulate. The idea is that we should all be innocent and full of wonder like a child. But the idyllic innocence and unassuming nature of children is a modern notion. There is no indication in ancient Mediterranean literature that people held the same romantic view of children in that culture. This is something that seems to have evolved in the modern West. Given the larger structure of this section in Matthew and the overall thrust of the message in Matthew, the emphasis seems to be on the lack of honor or privilege that children have. 
As I said in the introduction, children were the most vulnerable and powerless people in the ancient Mediterranean world. Powerlessness and vulnerability resulted in low honor status. Jesus seems to be telling his disciples not to strive for honor and to assume the lowest honor status possible. In that way, there will be enough honor to go around for everyone. Remember, honor was seen as a limited good. There was only so much of it in the world. If we think of honor as what we call privilege today, then Jesus is telling his adult male disciples to forsake privilege for the sake of the new society so that everyone can be equal. He answers their question of who is the greatest in the new society by telling them that it is the person with the least honor in the old society. Then he proceeds to talk about protecting those among them who in the old society have the least honor, those who are most vulnerable and powerless, for they are the ones who are the highest priority for the movement. Let's continue with verses 6 to 9. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were fastened around your neck and you were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of stumbling blocks. Occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to the one by whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or lame than to have two hands or two feet and to be thrown into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the hell of fire. Commentators don't have much to say about these verses. But I think if we understand that Jesus is talking about the structure of the movement for the new society, as he was just before this, it can give us some clarity. So let's start by asking, what does it mean to, quote, put a stumbling block in front of one of these little ones who believe in me, end quote. The believe in me part is a way of communicating that these little ones are part of the movement. It is a movement for a new society, but the new society has not arrived yet. So the movement has to learn how to protect the most vulnerable among them during this interim time. The stumbling block is any structure or community practice that might criminalize the most vulnerable by inadvertently colluding with the old society that regularly puts stumbling blocks in their way. These stumbling blocks, these traps, can push people toward actual criminal activity. For example, if the community insists on purity norms that destitute people have no hope of maintaining, that would be a stumbling block that pushes them away or even creates deep resentment that might suddenly burst into violent rage. A modern example might be when people who think of themselves as liberal or progressive try to keep public housing out of their own affluent single-family home neighborhoods, thereby continuing the social and geographical segregation that concentrates low-income people in areas with substandard schools and without access to the social circles that give affluent people their advantage. 
Such segregation keeps people in hopeless cycles of poverty. Then people who are stuck in poverty are often seen as a threat by law enforcement and affluent people who call 911 for the smallest infraction that such a person might appear to make. Some people caught in poverty traps might turn to crime to survive, or they might act out of frustrated rage, or they might attempt to gain status in an alternative community of criminal gangs. That's just one modern example. You can probably think of many more ways that we tend to put stumbling blocks in the way of people who are already marginalized or are vulnerable due to their social location. Jesus is telling his disciples not to put up these barriers, these stumbling blocks in the way of the most vulnerable who need to be included in this movement for a radically egalitarian society. In typical Middle Eastern hyperbole, he says that it would be better that a millstone would be fastened around your neck and you were drowned in the sea than to do such a thing, or that it is better to cut off your hand or foot or gouge out your eye than to put up barriers, stumbling blocks, that push the most vulnerable and marginalized into criminal activity. Then he continues with verses 10 to 14. Take care that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you, in heaven their angels continually see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones should be lost. That makes it abundantly clear, doesn't it? The lost, those whose social location makes them prone to wander, those whom we often inadvertently keep trapped in lives of social and economic marginalization so that they sometimes turn to crime. They are the ones that Jesus says we must pursue, bring back to the fold, and when we have done that, rejoice over them. They should be given the greatest honor. This makes me think of the work of those involved in outreach to gang members or to prisoners or to ex-convicts. And that makes me remember that the criminal justice system itself is often one of those stumbling blocks. And so I think also of those involved in the work of police and prison abolition and how that work necessitates the envisioning of an alternative system of community safety and justice. And that is what Jesus talks about in the next passage, which will be the topic for the next episode. For now, my name is Bert Newton. The music for this podcast series is provided by Bob Nolte and David Martin. Thank you to everyone who has supported this podcast. I deeply, deeply appreciate it. If you haven't, please support this podcast by spreading the word and giving us five-star ratings and glowing reviews so people are drawn to it. If you want, you can also send financial support through PayPal to subversivewisdom at gmail.com. You can also send questions or comments or words of encouragement or secret hopes for liberation and justice for all 
that the Holy Spirit has whispered in your ear to be shouted from the rooftops. You can send all of that to subversivewisdom at gmail.com. This has been episode 46 of Bible Study, Parody and Subversion in Matthew's Gospel. Thank you.